This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. Welcome back to another episode of the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I'm your host here, and I am a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And this is another episode of our amazing Women's Stories series. I'm so excited to have another guest with me today. As you know, it's my goal in 2020 to share as many women's stories as possible with you and to curate them on um, the website so that you can listen to as many stories as you want to. And the reason that we do that is because these stories inspire hope. These are stories of women, of brave, courageous women who are standing up and saying, yes, this is, this is a problem that I struggle with, and this is how I am taking steps towards healing. And every single one of these has been amazing and inspiring to me, and I'm excited today to be sharing another one with you. So today on our podcast, we have Rosario. How are you today, Rosario? Hi, thank you so much for having me here. Um, yeah, I'm well. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you here with us. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell Thanks us so a little bit about yourself, just maybe where you're from and, and some things about you? Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you said, my name is Rosario. I, I am from Australia, and, yeah, I'm currently a student. Uh, university student and yeah I just thought I'd share my story here because I yeah I have a friend who actually shared her story here as well already Mm -hmm. so yeah um she kind of um yeah kind of motivated me to share my story too Yeah, yeah that's great and that's that was Alice right from the Grace Spot Ministries yes that's her yeah awesome well I'm grateful that she inspired you to come on and share your story. I think one of the things that's uh, important in this idea of sharing more and more women's stories is that everybody's story is different and everybody's behavior is different and how everybody identifies is different. And yet they're all equally important. And Mm so I'm excited to share, to share your story with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't we start just kind of at the beginning, like when did you first decide that you had like, quote, a problem, right? Something that you needed to to change or fix about your life. All right. So it's a bit of a long story. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, just to give you a bit of a background um, before I say when I decided um, I had mm-hmm. a problem, um, I uh, I was raised a Catholic, and since I can remember, I have been told that sex was bad, and I never mm. got why. Um, and during my high school years, I became like I was very in favor of pornography, masturbation, and such. Um, and I was very pro contraception, and I didn't understand what was wrong with sex um, before marriage, and. Um, 
well, everything changed for me when I attended a bioethics talk um, where a Catholic speaker um, taught me my first ever lesson on sex um, in this one sentence, mm. um, which went like this. So sex is the physical expression of love between a married man and a woman. And that ultimate unity between two people in love creates a new life. So I know that, um, yeah, some people, yeah, like this was um, something that really prompted me um, mm -hmm. at the time um, to dive into my faith and everything. But that actually, um, yeah, having turned my world upside down and questioning about my opinions about pornography, masturbation and contraception and sex before marriage, um, it really got me um, suddenly just um wanting to in a sense um experience sex in a different way than I had been mm -hmm. um I wanted it to be intimate and loving I wanted it to be an experience um that I would get um when I was married um but yeah <clears throat> so yeah. having that said um from my background when I just when I first realized I had a problem, actually came in three different occasions. <laughs> okay. So yeah, because um, I think when you first start realizing you have a problem, it's kind of like you think, "Oh, it's a problem," but I don't want to really consider it a problem, in a sense. Mm. And then it takes mm -hmm. like a, a bit of like it's taken me like maybe a few years to actually be like, OK, yes, I do have a problem. So, um, yeah, like the first time um, I decided to change my life, I realized how hard it was for me to stop doing what I was doing. And that's when I realized, oh, actually, since I was 10 years old, I had been addicted to masturbation and I would engage in it every single night especially when I um, felt um, a lot of anxiety. Um, and yeah, like um, the second occasion was <laughs> when I was able to actually stop masturbating for a number of months. Mm -hmm. But then I started a serious relationship um, with, um, <clears throat> with um, someone I had met um, at university like a few years back. Mm -hmm. And I found myself wanting to do sexual stuff with my then boyfriend um, every single time I saw him. And, mm. well, get this, like, um, usually people think that the guy is the one who pressures the girl into things. And in my relationship, actually, I was the one pressuring him into doing things. So I yeah, knew that a little there, backwards there. Yes, yeah. it, it's very backwards. Um, so there was something completely wrong there um, for me. Um, but my biggest addiction was actually, um, masturbation out of everything. And, but when I would be in a relationship, that addiction would be transferred onto my partner. Um, the, they would become the object for my pleasure. And yeah, I mean, if you were, yes. if you were masturbating like every day and then yeah. you get in a relationship, you're going to want that kind of sexual input every yes. day. No, right. exactly. Every time so, you saw him. Yes. Yeah, so that's pretty much what happened to me during that time. Um, and yeah, the third occasion um, that I had to like 
really um, accept um, that I did have a definite problem. Um, by that time, I had already um, gone through really hardcore recovery by myself um, to try to manage through the addiction. Um, but um, in 2017, I fell into a really deep depression and I relapsed um, into my sex addictions um, to soothe my mental health struggles. Um, mm -hmm. So I would do that with like just entertaining sexual thoughts and masturbating. And it's extremely important that I mention these three occasions um, because, yeah, although, yeah, as I said, the whole time I knew there was something wrong with me, but I only really labeled it a sexual addiction in 2016 when I, yeah, when my boy, then boyfriend broke up with me and it became an opportunity to actually go through the first steps towards real recovery for me. Um, mm. But yeah, of course, like I went through so many relapses and um, mm. yes, I thought that at the time, I thought that once you get onto, on, onto the recovery wagon then that was it <laughs> it's done and dusted yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, right you just gotta oh. you just gotta put the intention out there just say i'm yes. gonna do this and then it just automatically happens yeah but it's so not true it doesn't happen and <laughs> oh like but having that third occasion happen to me just like having that major relapse it mm. made me yeah that's when i realized that recovery is actually an ongoing lifelong journey and it's part yeah. of my mental health journey. And it's a matter of learning more about myself and learning more about how I can improve um, managing any setbacks. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> no um, one of the things that I heard in what you were sharing about your early life was that you started masturbation young, but you also didn't get really any information about what sex was it sounds oh, like yes. until you were kind of later, except for that it was bad, right? Like, Oh yes. <laughs> we know that we know that sex, to, sex addiction or relationship addiction or love addiction doesn't just all of a sudden happen, right? There's a lot of things that kind of contribute to that. Yeah. Uh, tell us about some of the things you think in your life that contributed to this kind of obsession with sex or masturbation. Like what were those things that have happened in your life that helped to contribute to that well right so <laughs> I think um I think from a young age even though I was never diagnosed I actually think I had really high anxiety already um mm. yeah I would get like I don't know I think I would have these occasions where I would just um I didn't know how to handle that anxiety and I actually just accidentally stumbled upon masturbation like somehow um mm -hmm. yeah like I actually can't remember exactly how I stumbled upon it but yeah it became my way of managing my anxiety and loneliness at the t um all the time um and then um because well another thing about my background is that I I'm I actually used to live in Spain um, during okay. my childhood, and I moved to Australia um, when I was in high school. So that move actually gave me such a huge culture shock. And mm. 
yeah, I had so many struggles connecting with peers and struggling with social anxiety, um, especially with loneliness and depression. Um, and it, yeah, it was already my, like masturbation was already my way of um, soothing my anxiety. So during the high school years, yeah, of course it would like become more of a problem. Like um, that's the way I would repress my feelings of anxiety, sadness and loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most of what, yeah, like having said that, most of what contributed to the addiction um, was what I would call a feeling of emotional deprivation. Um, mm. I think um, most of the time, my addiction was a way of trying to fill a hole um, where emotional nurturance would only satisfy it. And I didn't get that um, during my childhood as much. Um, Yes, when you are told that you shouldn't think this way or feel that way, you unconsciously just start internalizing and repressing those feelings and thoughts in a sense. Um, and also, as you me- yeah, as I mentioned before, and you pointed out, um, throughout my life, I didn't get any proper sex or relationship talks. So, mm. um, if, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you weren't getting emotional, like, uh, nurturing, right? So if you yeah, aren't getting it's... emotional nurturing, you probably aren't getting talks about sex or biology or anything like that. Oh, yes. Not didn't get any of that and yeah yeah, like if I was it it was a bit sad because also when I started dating at the um during high school as well um if I was seen doing something as my I I don't know I would call it (laughs) uncatholic like in my Mm, relationship like something that's against my like um my faith or religion um then I was always just told off about it but there was never a proper explanation given to me about it so I was just like Mm. it doesn't make sense to me that you're going off at me for this um Mm -hmm. and especially have having never been told about sex and everything uh of course I was gonna become extremely curious about it and so that really led me to have a really huge fixation in love and sex as portrayed by the media yeah Yeah. When you don't have that information, I mean, there's so many things you just said that I want to comment on. Like, Mm. I think we don't talk enough about anxiety and (laughs) the anxiety that we have as children and how powerful masturbation can be to self-soothe, right? To soothe Mm. that anxiety. And it sounds like that was a huge contribution to to your behavior. Mm, Yes, it was. Yeah. So, I mean, those are some pretty significant uh, changes, like, you know, changing countries. You're not just like changing schools, but you're changing countries and and then not getting the emotional kind of support that you need in order to, to really navigate that in an effective way. Yeah, wow. especially if you're, I, um, I don't know, like I'm pretty sure many people um, in who have a religion, like would have experience this kind of um, situation where um, in the church there is a issue when it comes to emotions there's not much education on how to handle those emotions and there Mm. is a sort of like I don't want to say belief but like it's kind of like this perspective that emotions are bad as well 
So mm. because of that, like we're not like people um, sometimes are just not taught how to handle those emotions. And the, the only way to really handle them is actually just repressing them and suppressing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really difficult. I mean, if you're, we're such emotional people, right? I mean, every human being is so emotional. And then to be told like those emotions are bad, you shouldn't be feeling them. That would, that would be really difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you started masturbation fairly young. How Mm -hmm. and when did pornography come into the picture? Um, So pornography actually didn't come in to the picture until very later in like in okay. my high school um years um okay so i think once you know once puberty and hormones hit you get very curious mm-hmm. about sex and relationships so <laughs> because mm-hmm. i wasn't told about it about it by my family i sought it out by um, myself by watching tv shows and movies and you know, like in this society, TV shows and movies, it's there. It's very sa- like oversaturated with sexualized images and everything, right? Um, and yeah. very unhealthy images of sex, especially. So, um, I thought, um, I thought that, um, especially because I mentioned that I was a bit emotionally deprived. Um, I think, um wanting to be loved I started to believe that you only get love like you only get the love you only receive the love if um if sex is in the picture so um Mm. so having been really fixated on tv shows and movies and having known that um in high school like so many yeah so many of my peers um watched pornography and well, knowing that, <laughs> I convinced, <laughs> I convinced myself that my first relationship didn't work out because I wasn't sexy enough. So I thought I needed to learn more about sex by seeking pornography. So I actually chose to look at pornography myself. Um, and yeah, at the time, I think I was giving myself an excuse, telling myself that I was just craving, um, I was just craving, um, like, the kind of the love and the um company that I had when I had that first relationship but I think I was just craving the sexual stuff at the time Mm. and that was my excuse so it kind of escalated from just watching it in social in social media to actually yeah seeking out pornography myself yeah I I find that that's a very common pathway to pornography. Mm, yeah. Like that's part of my story as well. I I know a lot of women actually that I work with that have that common um idea that their first relationship or relationships even didn't work out and they they thought that they were the problem that they needed to be sexier or needed to know more sexually or things like that and got involved in pornography as a as a way to f- actually try to educate themselves on sexuality. Um, would you say that that's kind of what you're, you were trying to do in looking for pornography? Yes, no, definitely. So it was a way of me soothing that loneliness um, at the mm-hmm. time that I was experiencing. And especially when you go through a first breakup, it's like the most emotional breakup ever. 
So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. So how do you feel like your behaviors continue to escalate? So you started with masturbation and, and now you're looking at pornography. Like did, did your behavior continue to escalate? How, how did that look for the next few years before you started recovery? Um, so I do know that um, I did want to, it was, it's really, I think I had a bit of a conflict at the time because um, the year after I discovered, um, well, not discovered, but I, I started watching pornography. Um, that's when I had the kind of, um, how would you say? So that was the time when the year after I I started watching pornography. Um, that's when I first heard the first ever lesson I had on sexuality. Oh, okay. So yeah. it was kind of like... Was the um, one that was like so impactful for you. Yes, that impactful yeah. Um, yeah. sentence. Um, and so I had this conflict in, inside of me where I wanted to... Like, I wanted to be noticed by guys, um, mm -hmm. but that was like the beginning of my reconversion to my Catholic faith at the same time. So it was kind of, it was kind of conflicting for me because it's like, oh, I, I want to be noticed, but at the same time, I want, I want to also live my faith um which they're very contradictory to each other um they don't go well together um but yeah like um I know that the way I dress the way I behave like the way I talked was very like I started changing a bit um because of course to get noticed you need to yeah somehow <laughs> change um the way you dress and everything but um I, I know that I really wanted to experience sex as well at the time, and it was so difficult um, having that conflict. Um, I feel like it never escalated from pornography, just mm -hmm. because of um, just because I had that um, change of heart and change of mindset about sexuality at that time. So thankfully, it didn't go any further from there. Uh huh. And it okay. was kind of like just stilted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just struggling with that masturbation and like pornography during that time. And that's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also it sounds like this struggle to experience intimacy in a healthy kind of way as well. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you, like you're wanting to be noticed, but how do I do that in a way that still allows me to live my faith or still allows me to be who I am. It mm. sounds like there was some kind of conflict around that aspect of things for you as well. Is that, oh, yes. is that true? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's also a common thing, particularly for women, you know, in trying to figure out like sometimes I think as a society, we pressure women to have to kind of walk this line of being attractive and sexy but not step over the line to be slutty or, um, you know, or promiscuous, right? We might oh, say yeah. or things like that. And that's or a lot of times for women, like in your situation, it's a, I want to be a woman of faith and 
you know, but I also want to date and have relationships and, and I, I don't know that society does a good job of allowing those things to coexist. Mm, yes, no, definitely. I think especially, um, <laughs> especially if you are in like living in, in faith as well, like mm-hmm. you will encounter a bit of judgment from that too. Um, yeah. yeah, a bit difficult. Yeah. <laughs> It can be a bit difficult for sure. Yeah. So at this point in your kind of story, you, you know, your, your behavior escalated to include pornography mm-hmm. and, and then you have this, you know, opportunity to get some lessons on what exactly sex is and kind of define, redefine for yourself what you want sex to be this, this thing that happens out of love and this connecting experience rather than just self-soothing or selfish or whether than what pornography says. Mm. Um, so is that when you kind of identify as like first starting some type of recovery uh, behavior or some kind of recovery pathway, right? Yes. So um, having heard that sentence, <laughs> the only way that I could... Um kind of start at the time was actually just stopping altogether like cold mm. turkey but obviously like it didn't work because um <laughs> I relapsed <laughs> the next few years so um yeah, yeah. and well at the time because I didn't um I I didn't really label it a sexual addiction at the time yet because okay I guess it was more so like thinking oh it's just a moral thing um that I'm having mm. problems with but mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, the actual time that I started act- um, really recovering was two- 2016 when my second relation, I had a second relationship um, after that first time that I tried recovering. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, yeah, of course, I, as I mentioned, I kind of s- stumbled and um I kind of replaced my addiction with my boyfriend at the time right so um yeah I kind of like deviated from my newfound beliefs and yeah kind of just started doing the old things that I used to do and Mm. yeah I think the the biggest thing when it comes to yeah the biggest thing to my recovery journey was actually when I, yeah, while well, I was um, in that relationship and I just couldn't stop myself from, um, yeah, just, yeah, doing sexual stuff with, um, yeah. with my boyfriend. Like, um, and yeah, it was so frustrating for me because I felt like I'm doing it all the time, but then like, by doing it all the time, I didn't feel loved. <laughs> and it was so mm. confusing for me because at like in the past I thought, oh, like if we do this, then I f- I should feel loved. Um, because that was my belief before, and that was not happening. So yeah. once he had broken up with me, it was such a good opportunity to kind of re-educate myself about love and sexuality. Um and yeah, just try to figure out a different way of recovering from the sexual addiction that I finally <laughs> accepted I had. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, yeah, 
Um, so I, I just yeah. want to pause there for a second. Like, I think that's a common um, mistake that women and probably men too, but mm. I can only speak from the female perspective, but that we make about equating sex to love, right? Oh, yeah. Like we, we think that sex means love. Like if I have sex, then that means they, they love me on some you know, level or mm. that I should feel loved because we had sex. Mm, yes. I think that's a, a message that we socialize women to kind of think about. And, and it's so devastating or dis- and disappointing when that's not the reality. It sounds like, you know, like you kind of experience that, like we're doing it all the time. I should feel loved, but you know, I, I don't. Right. And mm. that's kind of a devastating reality. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, and it was, uh, I don't know, every single time I had a relationship um, of a sexual nature, it was always like that. I would always be thinking that way. And mm. yeah, but it's so difficult when you start realizing, oh, actually, this is not love. But then because you have already um, engaged in some sexual aspect with your partner, mm-hmm. you become attached to them already. Um, right. Not just emotionally, but physically. So it's kind of difficult to kind of just step back and be rational about, oh, actually, this is not really the right relationship for me in the first place. So, yeah, that's such a hard yeah. thing to do, right? When we're already caught up in kind of that sexual mm-hmm. energy of a relationship and we haven't really evaluated, like, is this the right thing for me? Mm-hmm. Or, yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you, the first, the first relationship kind of broke up and then you said you had, um, a second relationship and did that one break up as well for the same reasons or what happened with that one? So that one, um, it was because, um, well, I was, yeah, of course, um, during that relationship, I realized there was a problem with me and I was kind of going kind of um, going back to uh, to my faith as well again, as well during mm-hmm. that time. And I started thinking, like, I really want to have a loving relationship that doesn't need to be relying on um, all of this sexual stuff. Um, but, mm-hmm. of course, it, it was so difficult for me because I, I, I am addicted to it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I had to kind of give my boyfriend and I feel bad for him because it kind of like I, I kind of it was kind of like giving him an ultimatum but I kind of gave him a list of things that I couldn't do with him anymore <laughs> and mm. yeah he pretty much broke up with me because he was just like I don't think I can do this because this is not gonna be a relationship anymore and so I was just like I understood I was so devastated <laughs> I cried for <laughs> once <laughs> but yeah yeah, but it was, um, I think, um, yeah, it was It was good that I made that um, list. I feel bad because it felt like an ultimatum, but actually it was really good for me, especially because I just, I feel like um, having been in that relationship and having had started all of that kind of, um, in a sense, um, associating him with my addiction then mm-hmm. it, it just couldn't work anymore. 
So, mm. yeah, um, I had to take like a yeah. whole year uh, off from dating and try to kind of ground myself again um, and find a way to redirect those that sexual energy <laughs> um, mm-hmm. somehow. So, yeah. So tell us about what that looked like. Like, what are some of the things that you did to try to redirect that energy or to try to heal and and kind of change your behaviors in this area? Uh, yes. So I think I mentioned the first time I tried to recover um, the um, after I heard that um, first like that sentence about sexuality that changed my life um Mm -hmm. at the time I was repressing everything and so this second time round when I was going the recovery during um 2016 I realized I really needed to really re-educate myself about sexuality in a Mm -hmm. healthy way um, because of course, like before I was trying to kind of shun those sexual desires I had kind of, um, not accept them and trying to, in a sense, trying to abolish them. <laughs> so, okay. so this second time around, I really needed to understand them instead. Um, mm. and it really, uh, it was, um, it was so difficult because um, if you're conditioned to believe that sex is bad for all of your life, then <laughs> it's hard to actually embrace the fact that sexual desires are actually a good thing. They're actually a beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah, so I needed to understand um, um, why I had those heightened um, sexual desires and um so it took a whole of a, a whole lot of self-reflection. Um, yeah, and just realizing that why I was engaging in those um, in those uh, behaviors of masturbation all the time, especially. Um, so it's kind of like I don't um, I'm pretty sure you've heard about cognitive behavioral therapy model. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's kind of like that. Yeah, like like you, um, yeah, just looking at, okay, so what, like, when does it happen? Like, what feelings go, go on inside of me? What thoughts go on inside of me? And um, to figure out, um, yeah, um, where those behaviors start off from. Like, mm-hmm. there's always a trigger. Um, so, yeah, so I needed to really understand where it started all the time. And... Also, because I was a very lonely kind of person, I always found it difficult to connect with people. I knew that um, it was very important for me to have a community of like-minded people Um, in the sense of like people who believed the same things that I believed, that valued the same things that I valued. Um, um, So I started like, I started um, becoming part of um, societies in my university at the time. Yeah. Um, They never knew I had the addiction um, during that time because I was way too ashamed to share about it to anyone. Um, So the only 
the only people that knew about it was actually um my confessor um yeah we do confession in our catholic mm-hmm. faith so the priest that i did confession with um my spiritual director who always gave me spiritual guidance and my older sister who was always the best support um for me actually because i didn't feel judged <laughs> that way wow um, yeah yeah so it was like having um being able to communicate that I have this problem and um, to someone that I really trusted, especially, it was so helpful. Um, and confession became kind of like an accountability system for me as well. So um, it was quite good being able to go yeah. like weekly and say, yeah, I did this and I did yeah. that. So, yeah, and feeling, yeah, like, yeah, the priest telling me like, yeah, God forgives you. It's quite powerful mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but most, I think the biggest thing I really needed to learn during that recovery time is actually to have so much compassion for myself. Um, mm. but especially when I fall over um, or I stumbled. Um, it was so difficult to actually be compassionate towards myself. I was always feeling ashamed of myself. Like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. This should, like, especially um, knowing that um, a lot of people believe that pornography and masturbation and sexual addiction is just a guy problem. Like, there was something wrong with me, especially because of that. So, um, yeah, I really needed so much compassion towards myself. Um, yeah, so I think I, um, if I had to summarize the recovery, I would say it in four words, um, which all start with C. So it's confession, <laughs> communication, community, and compassion. Yeah, like that's what recovery looked like for me. I, wow, I love that. There are so many yeah. things in there that, you know, are really powerful. I love the distinction that you made early on and what you were saying Mm -hmm. just about how the first time around you tried to just abolish or ignore all of those sexual feelings, right. Or kind of become, you know, um, unsexual somehow, right. Like (laughs) just kind of like, I'm not going to experience these. And then the second time around, it was all about that idea of, you know, understanding, right. Understanding what this is, understanding what these feelings are, understanding what the, what triggers them, how they come, how they go, what they're about, right? And and embracing them rather than just oh, yes. trying to ignore them. And yeah. then I love the idea that you found community. I think community is such an important part of recovery. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it comes in, you know, the form of a a recovery community of some sort, whether that's a 12 step group or, or just a support group of some sort, but it doesn't have yeah. to come that way. And I love that you, you reached out and found people to connect with and formed a community um, and didn't stay isolated. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have anything to do with your recover with your addiction, right? Like just yeah. other societies, other um, associations and, and just didn't stay alone and isolated I think yes. there's an important lesson in that. Yeah. And I just want to um, yeah, point out something that you mentioned about how 
Yeah, because at the time I actually didn't think like realize this until you mentioned this, but like because the community had nothing to do with my addiction, I feel like it's like it kind of like subconsciously helped me to realize that I'm more than my addiction as well. Um because mm. if you're like thinking 24/7 about I need to recover, I need to recover, like you just fall into sh the shame cycle um constantly and yeah that kind of stunts your recovery um and healing um process actually that's what i think at least um, yeah no i yeah. i think like for you you had someone in your life like you had your sister who mm -hmm. you could be honest with and talk to yeah, about yes. everything going on right and I, I think a lot of people don't have that um mm -hmm. and so that community support is that place where they can be honest and real and that yeah. becomes like their accountability, which you kind of had with your sister and your confessor, right? Yes. And your spiritual leader were able to kind of provide that support and accountability for you. And a lot of people find that in a 12 step group or something like that. But yeah. I think you make a really excellent point that we can't become so obsessed with recovery or and that's not the right word, but like we can't yeah. drown ourselves in recovery to the point where we forget that there's a whole nother world out there, right? Like mm -hmm. that there yeah. is all these other things that we can be doing um, that were more, like you said, more than just our addiction. I remember like early on in my recovery, yeah. I had one of those moments because I was going, like I was going to a lot of 12 step meetings. I was going to a lot of therapy and, you know, at 12 step meetings, like I would always say, my name is Amy and I'm a sex addict and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I was at a, um, a party for a friend of mine and it was like, I was all new people to me. And I remember my friend being like, okay, Amy, so tell us a little bit about yourself. And <laughs> me having this moment of like, uh, I'm Amy, I'm a sex, like, I didn't say I'm a sex addict, but like, that's what went through my head, you know, yeah. of like, I don't, I don't even know how to, like, what to say, like, I don't, I don't know who I am, yeah. I, you know. Because it becomes and, part of your identity, like, yeah. by that time, if you keep saying it over and over again as well. Yeah, I, I think that it can, it can help you for sure. And oh, like yeah. you're saying, you've got to have that outside connection too that says like, I am more than my addiction, you know, yes. <laughs> and I, I found that in other ways. Um, but that was my moment when I realized like, oh, I need to have that too, right? <laughs> like it can't be yeah. all 12 step groups all the time. And uh, yes. so, yeah, yeah. And then I love your four C's. I love that, oh, yeah. <laughs> that concept, you know, of just like community, let's see, make sure I get it right. Community, communication, confession, and compassion. And I miss compassion. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's how can I miss that one? Right. Right. Exactly. I'm sorry <laughs> yes. about that. Yeah. Like, no, no, but that's the I, thing. Like, I think, um, it kind of, it kind of, um, reflects on our society though, because, um, yeah, like if like it's very easy to forget to be compassionate with ourselves so we mm -hmm. don't think of it as something that's impo an, an important part of our journeys mm -hmm. right and i absolutely agree with you on that like mm -hmm. i i need to yeah we all need to probably be a little bit more compassionate about this to ourselves right yes 
Wow. What a beautiful kind of experience and story. So how do you practice recovery today? Like right now, like what is your recovery practice look like? I mean, you've explained your four C's, which is awesome. And maybe that's what it looks like. Is there anything else that you do on, you know, a regular basis to kind of keep yourself in that good recovery space? All right. So I think one of the things we've been mentioning a lot um, was about understanding our emotions. And mm. yeah, like I, I think because um, I feel like especially having been taught that sex was bad and believing then that my sexual desires were wrong and that I shouldn't be feeling that way. It kind of um, made me realize that, oh, I keep um, kind of repressing not just that, but all of my feelings. Like, that's why mm. I had the addiction, because I was trying to repress my anxiety <laughs> and my loneliness and my sadness um, that I had from my depression um, most of the time. So um, I started, um, yeah, like um, after I had my depression and that relapse, the third occasion <laughs> that I re I realized I needed to accept that I did have this addiction still mm -hmm. um I started not focusing on the addiction itself but more so on my mental health because that's where my addiction stemmed from so and to be able to do that I started um trying to focus on developing a routine um mm -hmm. So whenever I fall over, I'll just review my routines and try to change them up and kind of like have something to fall back on if I, um, yeah, if I fall over with my mental health. Um, yeah. Because I know that if I fall over with my mental health, then I'm going to fall back into an addiction. Mm -hmm. So another thing that's really helped me um, this past few years yeah, like maybe these past two years, is actually using mindfulness, like trying to practice conscious living, like being more aware, like instead of going into the automatic kind of mm -hmm. um, um, behaviors, um, trying to be more conscious about what I'm doing and everything. And sometimes even using guided meditations to kind of ground myself back in right now. Um, yeah. which has been very helpful for my sleep too. So, um, Good, yeah. yeah, that's like one of my biggest problems, like my sleep. Um, and that's how, yeah, like when I, during my childhood, since my childhood, I've always had sleeping problems and the way I would, um, help myself to fall asleep was actually by masturbating. Um, cause mm -hmm. yeah, I just got tired afterwards. So the... Yeah, the way, yeah, I try to use mindfulness instead for that instead, um, because I know that's my problem. <laughs> that's one of my mm -hmm. issues. That's one of my um, problems. So, and yeah, the biggest thing, like I try to, not try, I practice um, every single day is actually having lots of self-compassion towards myself, like reminding myself that I'm a human. Like, yeah. even though, I don't know, I, I hate that, our, like there's this um, sort of um, 
mindset in our society these days that um i don't know this kind of view that everything needs to be perfect in a sense like um, <laughs> you have to wake up at 5 a.m in the morning and have a perfect day the ideal day um and be productive and stuff like that and that doesn't happen for me most days actually mm. so uh like trying to remind myself how i'm just human um really helps me so much um yeah, like self -com without the self-compassion, like I, I think that's pretty much my foundation. I wouldn't be able to do to continue with my healing process. Um, and then uh, like I can't reiterate the um, how much talking to a psychologist actually helps, like the right mm -hmm. kind of psychologist. Right. So, I mean, finding one that's actually... I think it would be really hard to find the perfect psychologist. But um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to find one that aligned with my values, with my faith, and that also was not judgmental, that was so grounded in humanity. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it really helps to have the right kind of psychologist, but also having the right kind of support network, like finding the, um, the people that you really trust, that you can really mm -hmm. trust um and who you can reach out to when you really need to and who will say the right words if you're kind of like about to give up um <laughs> yeah and I think finally also um part of my recovery practice is also a lot of journaling I try to mm -hmm. well I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna lie like I I do find it a bit difficult most of the time but journaling is such a yeah, like I use my journaling as a way of prayer for myself. But uh, journaling, um, even if it's just for self-reflection, is even though it's so difficult because it's kind of like you have to face what's going on inside of you by writing it all, all down. But um, it's a really good way to process your feelings and your thoughts and to release them in a sense. So yeah. those are the sort of things I've been doing for my recovery practice during these days, especially. So, yeah. yeah, right. That's awesome. Those are some really yeah. good thoughts. I love your idea about mindfulness. And, mm -hmm. and then also you said about like emotion, like tending to our emotions, I think is so important. I, I love, I love the work of Brene Brown. Oh, and, yes. Right. One of the things that yeah. she says is, you can't selectively numb emotions. Oh, and yes. so, Definitely. you know, and so the idea of like, you know, if we're numbing emotions with masturbation or with pornography, then when we stop numbing that all of a sudden, all of these emotions are going to come back and mm -hmm. we've got to be prepared and tending to all of those emotions. So, yeah, yeah. no, that's why, that's especially, amazing. especially with, mindfulness I feel like mm -hmm. it's such a huge asset because um unlike what people think <laughs> um it's not about like emptying your mind or emptying your body of like whatever's going on inside of you but it's actually allowing yourself to feel and to mm -hmm. just sit there with those feelings um so yeah yeah I, I love that important yeah. Well, 
Rosario, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing so much of your story and your experiences and the wisdom that you've learned while you've been in recovery. It means a lot to all the women out there who are listening and who are looking for hope and want to want to get on a good path. And I just so appreciate you being willing to to share with us today. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that I'm able to share my story. Um, yeah, because yeah. uh, I feel like if I had known that someone like someone else was struggling with what I went through during my recovery time, no, not my recovery mm-hmm. time, during the time that I was struggling with these addictions, um, I feel like um, I would have been so much like yeah, I, it would have been so much easier. It would have been more hopeful for me during that time. Yeah. So I hope that this will help others in their path too. Yeah, thank you. On that note, like what message would you like to share? You know, you have oh, yeah. <laughs> um, hundreds of people yeah. out there listening, right, to your story. So is there anything else or anything specific? And What message would you like to share to women who are in that recovery process? Yeah, so, okay, so I'm going to do two messages. So one is going to okay. be specifically for Christians because, oh, it's so, I think it's so difficult, um, especially if you believe that it's there's something wrong with you for having sexual desires. Mm-hmm. And for the Christians out there, I really want you to know that God doesn't love you any less for struggling with mental health illness or addiction. He really loves you even more and desires to share with you his graces and strength all the more during this time of recovery. And for every single person out there, for every woman out there that needs to hear this part, um, be compassionate with yourself and meet yourself where you are at right at this moment. Because I think it's really important to realize that our emotions are signals of something happening within us that needs to be tended to and nurtured. So Mm -hmm. listen to what your emotions may be telling you rather than judging yourself for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two beautiful messages. Thank you so much. No worries at all. And thank you so much for having me over. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, my friends, this is the end of another wonderful story that we get to add to our women's story series here at the Worth Recovery Podcast. I just want you to remember that no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter if you're in the bottom of a pit pit of despair, that you are worth recovery, 100% worth it. And if you don't believe that, you can just rely on me and you can rely on Rosario's hope and knowledge that you are worth it. Um, And we want you to recover and be compassionate with yourself today. Um, Remember that I, oh, I was going to end, but then I just remembered an announcement. I just want to remind everyone out there, if you want to share your story with us here at the Worth Recovery Podcast, we want to hear it. 
we want to share as many stories as possible this year in 2020. I just want to flood the world with women in recovery. That's kind of my vision for the rest of this year. So if you want to share your story, you can contact me via the website, worthrecovery.com. You can email me directly, amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. You can also um, check out the Worth Recovery Facebook page or Instagram page or Twitter page, any of those. Um, And we would love to share your story. We can set up a time to talk and chat and, and get ready to do that. So remember that I love you. I pray for you. And I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks again. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.